So then somebody turned me in, and now Starfleet is asking me to hide again. So that no one has to know an Illyrian climbed the ranks of Starfleet. It'll be like it never happened. Like I never happened. So, you had your playtime acting like one of them, accept your dismissal, take your licks, and go home. No. Why not? Because I shouldn't have to hide anymore. None of us should. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the courtroom and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between the Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton hiding his fondness for Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> I feel like your intro was missing something. I really needed the dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, <laughs> kind of like people's court intro. Uh, I... I apologize for not living up to your expectations, Cameron. No, no, it was on me. I should I should have been the one doing that as you were talking or whatever. Oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and why me. would that be, Cam? Why, why this uh, fondness for people's court right now? Because we are here this week to talk about the latest episode of Strange New Worlds, episode two of season two, Ad Astra Per Aspera, which is our return to the Star Trek courtroom drama. It's been quite a while. Incoming transmission. And we're interrupting that subspace transmission for an emergency transmission, Cam, with regards to the fate of, uh, you know, a Star Trek Prodigy, but maybe a, a broader discussion about uh, Star Trek and streaming overall. Uh, news just broke this week, or this past week, as you are listening to the show now, that uh, Star Trek Prodigy Season 2, well, uh, it will finish production. And it will be shopped to other networks, but Paramount Plus has canceled it. It will not air on Paramount Plus. And I I think about it this way, Cam. We've had three Star Trek series that have will all essentially end within a year's time. Uh, Discovery, Picard, and Star Trek Prodigy. Now, people might think of this news and be like, oh, what does this, you know, um, portend to the future of the franchise? I I, want to point out that Star Trek, or I should say that Paramount Plus canceled uh, a number of different shows Mm -hmm. what i think (laughs) this indicates is all the shows that were canceled uh weren't getting any ratings and cam just in our day-to-day lives we didn't know anybody who was watching star trek prodigy like we like the show i don't know anybody who i would interact with on a daily basis like yeah sure there's folks online that you know would talk about it but that's about it for me yeah and even the amount of people talking about it online was a much smaller number like, if I would go to message boards, a lot of people were talking about Picard or even the new seasons of Lower Decks. But when it came to Prodigy, it was like one or two people being like, hey, everyone, this show's really good. You should check it out. And, you know, uh, if you asked me this 18 months ago, I would not have thought it to be a problem. The whole point of this is you're building up these library archives for younger folks to get those younger folks into Star Trek at one point. Uh the, the economics of streaming have changed significantly since about last spring, uh, spring 2022, when for the first time, uh, Netflix started posting losses in subscriber numbers. Now, a lot of it, it actually had to do with the uh, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and uh, Netflix 
stopped, you know, uh, like uh, providing services to Russia. And so obviously they lost all those subscribers. And if you kind of dig into numbers a little deeper, the Netflix numbers weren't nearly as bad in terms of losing subscribers. But from that point onward, these streaming services have been making these big cuts rather than just unloading ridiculous amounts of money into building up their content libraries there. Um, I don't think this is necessarily uh, a, a terrible thing for Star Trek that is not affecting other shows out there. You know, I, I think there's still room for Star Trek to exist. I just don't think that we're in that era in which, Cam, we're reviewing, what, five different Star Trek shows uh, all in one year last year? Yeah. That era is long gone at this at this point. Yeah, and it is kind of a bummer, though, that it sounds like they're going to offload Prodigy completely from the uh, Paramount Plus streaming service as well and shop for a new buyer. It would be nice to have all the Star Trek shows collected under one umbrella, but as, as you said, it must have just been like tumbleweeds for viewership on this one. Oh, I, 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 I can imagine. I, and I don't know how they measure the metrics or mm -hmm. anything like that. But the fact is, like, it could have been tens of thousands of people watching every episode. Like, that's what it could have been, you know. We're at the point where, um, you know, Star Trek Discovery, you know, it, it's five seasons in. The, the creative team did not want Star Trek uh, Discovery to end, but it, it's, the economics aren't worth it for that show to go beyond season five. For Prodigy to end as quickly as it did, I can only imagine how much lower the metrics were in terms of viewership for Star Trek Prodigy. I just don't think many folks were watching it at all. And I know what you're saying. You know, it sounds like a bummer that they're taking off season one and we won't get to see season two on, on say, Paramount+. Plus. I think it's actually a good thing, though, in that it means as if the uh, they're very serious about finding a new home mm. in which they can package up the entire series, not just, you know, season two, uh, they can package up the entire series and find a new streaming service or new network to put this on. So it's a, a little bit of a confusing thing here. I'll, I'll, I'll try not to get too much into the weeds here. But in this case, CBS Studios is the studio producing the show. Uh, Paramount Plus is the network on which it airs. They're both owned by the same parent company, though. So think about it back in the 90s. You know, uh, Friends was produced by Warner Brothers, but it aired on NBC, which is now affiliated with Universal. Uh, the, so those are two different parent, uh, like parent companies involved. So this is actually more of a better thing about maybe the, the, some hope for the future of Prodigy to go beyond season two. I wouldn't necessarily bank on it, but mm. it does leave some hope for some uh, fans out there. The, the the hundreds of you that might exist. And maybe it'll wind up somewhere that doesn't air episodes five at a time with like six month breaks between. That would be nice. Well, and Kim, how, how much do you think that affected kind of what, whatever viewership or metrics that they were dealing with? Like, I don't know if that did them any favors, just having such a very, very strange release schedule. Well, you could never build up momentum. It was like, okay, we've got five episodes. We're loving this. Oh, and we're off the air for like months. And if you and I are getting frustrated, what about like a 10-year-old child who's watching this movie or this show? Well, I remember like watching Ninja Turtles as a kid and it would like, as a kid, it'd feel like an eternity between like any new episode. Like mm -hmm. it would just seemed as if you'd watched like uh, <laughs> 10 of the same episode, like again and again and again before you eventually get like a, a new batch of episodes as well. Yeah. And so like, hopefully 
season two is handled better. It is just kind of a bummer, though, to me, because Prodigy was, just visually was so ambitious. It had a great energy, really well-written show. You know, I um, you know, was kind of joking in our WhatsApp group when we were talking about this, that, you know, Star Trek animated shows have a history of going off the air kind of ingloriously after season two when you look at the original animated series. But the original animated series, I wouldn't say was the most ambitious, where it really felt like at least the people creatively behind Prodigy really had a vision and they really believed in what they could do with the Star Trek brand. Well, I'll also point out that uh, in terms of the budget of the animated series versus Prodigy, and also just, I, I think Prodigy was an extremely expensive show to produce just based on how like magnificent it looks. Mm-hmm. So if the, the viewership isn't there and it's very, very expensive, I can understand why Paramount would say, you know, goodbye at this point. Um, for Canadians like us, I'm not exactly sure what this means. Does this mean that, you know, we'll like crave the streaming service up here and watch the Star Trek shows air? Will we be getting it a little earlier? Does it even matter if it can find a new home down in the United States? Um, I, my guess is it, like watching it up here will be contingent on them securing another network down in the United States. And if they can't, I think they'll just license it to um, other folks overseas and we'll be able to watch it on Crave at some point. Hopefully, because I would like to see this story resolved in season two. That is my big concern, actually, is that they'll shop around season two, season two will get aired, and it won't resolve the whole Chakotay cliffhanger and all the sort of stuff that they've been building up in season one. Like, they were kind of like threading things along to continue the mystery into season three. That's my concern. Yeah, um... Sorry, Chakotay. Like, <laughs> that might just be kind of the tagline of the series. Like, so, okay, more broadly speaking, though. Uh, so Picard got to go out, the, the series Picard got to go out on its own terms. Uh, not so much with Discovery. You could tell that they did not want season five to be the final season of Discovery. But, you know, uh, the folks behind the scenes were nice enough to give them a little bit of extra budget to wrap things up and you know uh, we'll we'll get that show uh, 10 more episodes of that show and we'll get to the finale there I, I wonder about the future of strange new worlds though in that it clearly has like the kind of buzz and pop culture momentum behind it that we just didn't really get with discovery after i'd say what season season one yeah. and i i say i'd say strange new worlds has has more buzz behind it than Discovery ever had. I still don't know if the economics of, you know, Strange New World makes sense to go beyond, you know, maybe four or five seasons as well. It's just like how many streaming shows, and I'm not talking about shows that's, you know, like The Crown, which started, you know, like, um, you know, in the past decade, but like how many streaming shows really go beyond three or four seasons? It's the economics of it, uh, based on how frequently they get canceled, they just don't seem to add up because viewership will inevitably drop off at the same time that budgets have to go up as you're paying the writers and the actors more money. So it's, I don't know, like, but maybe Strange New Worlds is the crown jewel for Paramount Plus at this point, and they'll be willing to kind of, you know, kind of take that burden on and maybe lose a little bit money just to carry some sort of prestige. Like, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me to live in a world where they just had Strange New Worlds going and hopefully lower decks for a couple more years. 
but just having kind of those two as their sole Star Trek content, that wouldn't shock me. It's kind of actually a little surprising to me that, you know, obviously with Prodigy's cancellation and sort of this announcement that they're going to focus more on miniseries and movies, that they are forging ahead with the uh, Starfleet Academy show set in the Discovery universe. That does surprise me a little bit. Um, I, I don't know that I see that one getting five seasons at this point. Well, I also wonder, like, I kind of wish that they, instead of canning Prodigy, that they canned Starfleet Academy before even got out of the gate. But the problem is, I I just, I have to believe that the viewership numbers for Prodigy were abysmal, like absolutely abysmal. And, um, you know, it's not to be, uh, you know, some sort of judgment against the show. I mean, we both liked it, but we we didn't know anybody who was watching it. No, it's going to be kind of one of those hidden gems of Star Trek, I think, in the future. And this whole new streaming era, I think like 20, 30 years from now, people will be like, what is this Star Trek prodigy? What are these short treks? There's these like odd little, you know, shows and uh, one shots that popped up out of this whole era that I do think will be kind of momentarily forgotten, but rediscovered further down the road. Well, it... It's just such a, okay, for such a long time, you know, we kind of thought of Star Trek as those first five shows, you know, the uh, the original series, and then ending, finally, that Berman era with Enterprise. And that was, that was it for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And even at the time, it almost as if like, Enterprise was stained by only making it to 98 episodes, whereas yeah. like, D- Discovery... it won't be getting to 100 episodes. Uh, It's doubtful. Like, Strange New Worlds would have to be on for 10 seasons for it to get on, uh, have as many episodes as Star Trek Enterprise as well. It's also just an entirely different era of television. I'd be happier with, like, the the multitude of different sorts of shows that we're getting versus let's focus on doing 26 episodes a year of Star Trek Picard and watch... It's, uh, you're in downtown Los Angeles for 26 episodes in a row. Can you imagine a world where that's a thing? Like how dire, that is a dark future. Well, like, honestly, it's it's just kind of like, that's why I think the episodic nature of Strange New Worlds just lends itself to so many more possibilities than what they're doing. What they're trying to do with the serialization, thinking that they could figure out what people want from streaming. Mm-hmm. And I just think about the shows that are getting, like, um, just way more buzz at least. And it, it's really it's been this swing back more towards episodic stuff. I'm not talking talking about Star Trek. I'm, I'm just talking about the shows that are more critically acclaimed at, at this point. And it's when they, you know, I'll, I'll use Atlanta as a very good example, the uh, show created by Donald Glover. And it, it's far more episodic in nature, which is not to say that's the characters don't go through arcs or that their relationships which with each other don't develop but it's not story based serialization which i just if it worked in star trek you'd have to go back to the enterprise era or the deep space nine era not necessarily what they're doing with you know these season-long mystery box arcs that we got with picard and discovery yeah um i am more than happy if they just stick to this episodic format for future shows like i'm i'm praying that starfleet academy is not a uh, serialized mystery for 10 episode seasons like that sounds brutal to me and i at this point pretty much expect strange new worlds to be a five season show 
anything beyond that is a bonus, and anything less yep. than that will be kind of a bummer. I agree. I agree. Um, wait, so on that Starfleet Academy train, uh, I remember just talking about a couple weeks ago where I like I, I want it to be more like hammy and cheesy along the lines of like 90210 or something like that. But I was thinking about it. There have been these kind of teen dramas that have taken themselves seriously and that have done like season-long mystery arcs that have uh, mm-hmm. worked. Um, if this show is more in the vein of Veronica Mars, the television show, I think that would actually be quite fantastic. Uh, but I'll say this. Uh, Veronica Mars is a pretty dark show. And yeah. uh, and not dark in the way that like uh, <laughs> we're watching people get their eyeballs like extracted from them or watching like uh, naked Klingon ladies or anything like that. But, but dark and like very dark themes and very noirish as well. Um, not a pun on dark, uh, by the way. So I, I, I don't know. Like I, I think I think there's hope for, you know, uh, Starfleet Academy to be something beyond just self-seriousness cringe but based on maybe the creatives and and look i've never seen the nancy drew uh show so i can't speak to the showrunner's credentials but i I just know with the kurtzman stuff there's been a a number of misfires in in how they take themselves very seriously at times and i think they really need to change up the energy of star trek discovery like my biggest concern is that this just feels like an extension of star trek discovery as opposed to a new show with a new kind of tone and energy existing within the discovery timeline well i mean just, uh, don't you think they they're going to open the door to like a lot of these like hey you know dr culber is here for this week mm-hmm. oh look it's adira you know like i just wonder if there's going to be all these kind of drop ins uh, yeah, we can uh, find out what's going on with David Cronenberg uh, week to week. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I remember, okay, here's what annoys me so much. Like, I, I pay way too much attention to the Facebook groups and the Reddit groups, but when they had the preview for the episode last season that featured the return of Nan, um, it was like all the people in Facebook Facebook groups were like, wow, yay, Nan is coming back. And I was like, BS. Yeah. Who on earth was like on the non train when she was uh, given like two lines per episode? Um, one line of of course was uh, "yum yum" in that season two finale. Like it, like you you folks are like totally full of it. Yeah, and I mean, just when the character started to get a little interesting, she was off to the seed vault. Yeah. So you couldn't even really hang on to much. I mean. I wouldn't mind if Nan was like an instructor at Starfleet Academy. Sure, why not? Give that give that poor actress something to do at last. Well, remember they put her in like the main credits for like the first five episodes of season three and we could not figure out why for the life of us? Yep, yep. And then that stopped. Well, they're being very nice. <laughs> they're, they're being very nice to her. And like props to them because, I, I don't know, it's just interesting because they didn't realize that they wanted to make Tilly the XO Obviously, until they started breaking season three down and they realized that no matter what, um, Nan would have superseded her authority just based on rank and experience. So they had to find some way to get rid of Nan. Yeah. Um, my hope for the show is I want David Cronenberg to be like the cool teacher who like turns his chair around and is like, what up, kids? That's a show I would watch. Oh, yeah. And like he wears his hat sideways yeah. all the time. <laughs> like, kind of like Rod Belding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not um, Mr. Belding, but uh, Mr. Belding's 
cool brother. That's right. Um, Saved by the Bell. That's right. We'll take out yeah, the part gotcha. where he like disappoints all the kids and is a total heel. Just keep him as like the cool teacher. Preferably, uh, I'm okay with the long wig as well. I, I want that same haircut that uh, the uh, the skullet that um, Rod Belling <laughs> Belding had back in the day. <laughs> okay, uh, well, Cam, um, look, uh, fun uh, doing this emergency transmission with you. Um, not so much fun in terms of what we had to talk about, mm. but I don't think it. I don't think this portends to the like some sort of doomsday for Star Trek as we know it right now. I think they're still invested on building this franchise into something that they can promote across uh, Paramount Plus as well as something that's, you know, I, I say this knowing full well, like who knows what they even want to do with the, the cinema universe at this point, yeah. whether it's the Kelvinverse or what comes next. I, I know it's tough, but I just like, you also feel like there is like buzz or momentum for some sort of, you know, not necessarily Star Trek legacy as we might think of it, but like returning to that present day era of Star Trek as we think of it. And, and you know, Patrick Stewart, he's been out there saying like, hey, why not we have like a um a straight to Paramount plus TNG movie? Like he's out there promoting that. I'm like, yeah, why not? It, ma- it makes sense to me, yeah. you know, like just from a marketing perspective that that seems like very easy to digest. And um, but do you th- OK, so do you think that Section 31 movie is still on the table or still realistically on the table at this point, considering Everything from the writer strike to the fact that it hasn't begun filming yet to the fact that they are making cuts, um, not well, with, with Star Trek, but more broadly across the Paramount net- Network as well. My suspicion is it is, and that's for one specific reason, and that's Michelle Yeoh's involvement, because like that would get some attention having her fairly fresh off her Oscar win leading a Star Trek movie. Like That's just good for their service. If this were like an Ash Tyler film... I think it might have quietly, you know, died. Okay. Um, well, sir, why don't we get back to our regular scheduled transmit transmitting? Yes, there you go. Transfer of data is complete. So Tyler, ad astra per aspera. What do you think? I don't think this one was a dud, but I think it was flawed in concept and it really did not work for me. In mm. terms of the fact that um the uh look Look, Star Trek is not above heavy-handed metaphor. <laughs> um, believe me. Um, but I like it when Star Trek is posing difficult questions. Um, there were no difficult questions here. There was no nuance. There was the writers telling you what the answer the entire time. And uh, Cam, explain to me what Una's plan was when she um, informed Starfleet surreptitiously that... Um, she was an Illyrian last season, at the end of last season. Like, her plan was she wanted to get arrested to hire a lawyer who didn't actually want to represent her, which she was not aware of, in an event that could have uh, implicated her commanding officer in some sort of conspiracy, all because she loves the diversity of Starfleet camp. There were some holes in the plan. Um, some. Perhaps some. not the world's greatest strategist. <laughs> I, I just, this episode, like, I, I I don't think it's a dud. I just think, like, if you, like, it was just way too heavy-handed. But I don't know. What, what What's your overall takeaway on uh, episode two of season two of Strange New Worlds? I think I enjoyed this one more because... I think you did. <laughs> I think most <laughs> folks did. I just, I don't know. I just thought that was, this one was kind of, like, dumb. But please go for it. Because I think we have been missing something throughout the first season of Strange New Worlds that really should have been delivered, which is 
something that tells us something about the Una character. I feel like they were backgrounding so much of the information of her. She was often sidelined. When we had an episode kind of geared around her, it was Ghosts of Illyria, which did that really tell us that much about her? Uh, just that she has super strength. Exactly. Yes. It was like, okay, sure. This episode, I think, I agree. Like, the central argument was um, relatively simple. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to have the audience cheering in favor of prejudice against Una. <laughs> well, exactly. Like, and so it's just yeah. like, so that, the problem is, and that saps all the tension from the episode. And going into this one, we also knew that, look, are we going to end up with, you know, your, your number two on the call sheet being removed from the cast because she's, you know, sentenced to 20 years in a Federation penal colony? Like, we know that's not going to happen. And, like, we kind of knew by the time we'd get to episode three, things would be back to status quo. And I just felt like there just wasn't real tension here, especially when we were being, like, lectured to about uh, prejudice. It's kind of like th this was not a complex story whatsoever and it just kind of i don't know it, it, it got into mando season three territory where it's like <laughs> the, the differences are about i wear helmets and you don't wear helmets right what i liked though was that this episode kind of put the concept of starfleet on trial while at the same time championing it it did a very good balancing act there of pointing out the hypocrisy of the federation while also tap dancing around the fact that uh when you get to star trek deep space nine and you have the genetic engineering going on with Bashir, it's still an issue. The fact that they managed to resolve this in a way that acknowledged Una's character and brought her back into the show while also not rewriting the book to suddenly make things confusing for the Bashir story, I give them points because I think they actually had like a satisfying resolution to this. And I did really just enjoy I, I disagree, the... but go on, go on. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I really did just enjoy the overall look at the Una character because, it, again, it felt like more of an insight into this character that has been, I don't want to call her a cipher, but just like someone they're aware is a dynamic character, but are kind of shuttling off to the sidelines too often in season one. She's, they're more as kind of a, a strong presence versus like yeah. a, a deep three-dimensional character up until this point. Um, so here's why I don't really care for the resolution here is because like um, they're not debating the issue on a philosophical level, you know, in terms of, you know, genetic modifications, um, what that means for society, apparently because, you know, uh, the Terrans had a bad go of it 150 years earlier. That means everyone else in the entire Federation, they cannot do this, I suppose. Although I guess um, La'an was just more honest on her Starfleet application. Is that what we're to gather? Yeah, I don't. How does it work for a La'an where it's like passed along the lines genetically as opposed to you? yourself being genetically engineered but like she is like augmented though is she not because like you know it, like yeah she, like she's punching out klingons with like the flick of her like pinky finger and like that sort of stuff like um you know i i i, I don't know like I, and that's a problem they did not really address this uh from a philosophical perspective it, it, it got dressed by a technicality Oh, she technically claimed asylum. And I'm just like, I, I don't know, it just seems like too neat. And it's, you know, I, I don't know, I, I just, I, like, I can totally understand why people are out there uh, championing this episode. It's a return to the courtroom. There's a lot of these fan favorite episodes, you know, like um, 
of course, uh, a measure of a man or the drum head that are, are really great representations. And they're like, okay, well, let's do another one. And, you know, when, when you have your, like one of your main characters being persecuted in this way, and you've got your token jerk Vulcan, whose hmm. presence is just there, like, like that guy is, uh, what, dead silent for 99% of his screen time until he's there to uh, take aim at Pike's complicity in this. Yeah. And I just, to me, it, just from a storytelling perspective, it just doesn't get up to, like, like it seems disingenuous. Like, they, they're trying to hit, like, the, uh, the right notes here, but it just rings false to me. Well, when you look at the history of Star Trek episodes like this, what would you say is like the best one? I think a lot of people would say measure of a man, but would you say that's the best one or would you look at something more like the drumhead? I'm more of a drumhead kind of person. Like that's for me because you know you're you're addressing um not just philosophical things, but you're addressing um more existential things, you know, how and also just Picard's own decision making. Okay, think about the whole Robert April stuff. Hey, you know all these like missions the audiences yeah. have never seen you on well guess what uh you violated the prime directive whereas if we're talking about um admiral gene simmons uh from the drumhead uh <laughs> taking on picard's decisions that we've witnessed and uh uh do over the years you know the decision whether or not to infect the borg with a virus that could have cost you know billions of borg drone lives but could have saved billions of other lives further down the road you know and, and like and also, you're just debating, like, the stakes were centered on some no-name ensign that whose career was in the balance. And I cared about those stakes there. You know, it's just like, there's so much more for me to latch on to, rather than like, hey, got off on a technicality. Well, yeah, I mean, with the drumhead, the actual case, you know, and the implications of it, as you said, like, Picard, you know, releasing the uh, the virus into the Borg, like, that is a conversation that people can argue about. And have an opinion on, on both sides. I just, I, I agree with you in the sense of like the the central argument in this episode was a tough one to take the Starfleet side on. Like, in what world would you be arguing that? Nope, no genetically modified people allowed. Damn it. Um, it felt in many ways commenting on prejudices, obviously of the past, but also of the current day, and trying to showcase how ridiculous they are and how unjust they are to other humans but it is taking a very on-the-nose perspective on that without the ability to have kind of a conversation or argument about it but i will say if you're going to take that tact it was very passionate about it i think delivered it with like a level of writing integrity and at least delivery that didn't feel like insulting to me it felt like they were genuinely trying even if the final results don't have the conversation points or the nuance of something like the drumhead. Do you get the sense that maybe the writers had painted themselves into a corner last season, you know, with the arrest of Una at the very end and how they set up Pike not accepting her resignation upon finding out that she, uh, that Una had been genetically modified. It, it just like, I feel as if like, it wasn't like they had this master plan all along and was going to culminate in this. Yeah, I mean, when you had Una being arrested, it's like, how do you get her out of this? I do give them points for one thing uh, in particular, which is that it did not revolve around a Pike speech. Because I think 
if I can, you know, scan my memory banks, we both kind of said, oh, it's going to result in Pike giving a big impassioned speech that's going to turn everyone around. And the fact that they acknowledged that right up front and were like, Pike, you're not even going to testify. There's not going to be any speeches. I was like, well, they're self-aware enough to realize that, like, there is an expectation with not just this show, but any Star Trek show that it's going to revolve around the captain giving a big speech and just basically ending the proceedings. But yeah, I do think when it came to setting this up, I mean, you could get ultra creative and come up with some sort of mission-based story to resolve this, but I don't know. Like, I just think it is a very difficult thing to set up legal proceedings against a character and not either have a courtroom story or like a mystery just to like clear her name. What and what a mystery it was. Uh, Una was the culprit the entire time. I mean, I'm sure uh, Lon breathed a si- uh, sigh of relief because <laughs> she seemed pretty broken up about that it might have been her. <laughs> so it's like she wrote like an angry diary entry after finding out. Must have, yeah. And I did actually okay. really like that scene of her and Ahura where she's giving Ahura the order to reveal the personal log and Ahura, you know, standing up to her superior officer and saying, no, we have to find another way. I did like that. It didn't ultimately lead to La'an having to take a step to find something else, another avenue of discovery, but I did appreciate that they had that scene. Yeah, I like that as well. You know, and it, uh, I like it. Okay, one of the things I don't like is when all the main characters get together and they say to each other, we're going to violate Starfleet regulations to get our friend out of trouble. And we saw that last, last episode. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. and we've seen that many a time before in Star Trek. I like Uhura pushing back on that as well. Um, perhaps my favorite scene, though, is... <laughs> I, I still really need them to give Ortegas like, more to do, but I really like the scene mm. in which Ortegas and uh, Mabenga are in the commissary, and she's just making up whatever conversation she thinks that uh, Vulcan and the uh, very hard-to-pronounce uh, uh, guy's name, uh, what you know, Spock and that other Vulcan were having, mm, yeah. you know, um, but... Uh, <laughs> I did like when Spock walked over and he's like, I regret that you had to witness that outburst, <laughs> you know, but I would also, I don't just Mabenga like picking up on that, just all the body language there uh, versus, you know, uh, shouting matches that maybe uh, more humans would be inclined towards. I need to go back and watch the episode Private Little War because Mabenga's in that episode and apparently uh, makes reference to the fact he worked with Vulcans. So I like that they uh, were probably acknowledging that by having him someone who's very aware of like body language of Vulcans and I thought that was a great scene of just two characters interacting and just think of like the amount of I'm not even going to point fingers at a specific show of Star Trek but there's some lesser Star Trek shows out there you just don't have that level of energy going going on in a conversation a scene between two characters and this one was really fun and you know, when you have a courtroom episode, sometimes they can just feel very one tone uh, throughout the episode. And I like that they found ways to interject character comedy throughout. Okay. Um, trying to, like, like I, I don't want to just dump on this episode, which I, like, I don't think it's a bad episode. I just think it was um, a pretty thin episode, like more, far more just surface level. Uh, especially, look, Star Trek has like a long history of doing these kinds of courtroom dramas. There have been a lot of really good ones and i just don't think this one comes close to it for you know to those other ones uh, just for the reasons that i've outlined there uh you know uh, look i i'm not going to keep dumping on this but um there, there 
there was some silly stuff going on in like Una's explanation, like which is very long. Her explaining all the history of augmentation among various Illyrian colonies and how there had to be a city or two cities, but divided between mm-hmm. Illyrians and non-Illyrians with augmentations versus no augmentations, and then there there are some stores that wouldn't serve augments. Like, is there like a sign in the store? It's kind of like <laughs> like okay. Well, I, I know that, look, they're, they're alluding to, like, prejudice going on throughout, like, human history. You know, like, yeah, we won't serve people that are gay or people that are black or Asian. Like, I, I get that. But this just seemed, just, just I, I know I keep see, saying heavy-handed, but this is just even a little heavy-handed for Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek, yes, can get very heavy-handed. Um, I Sometimes I wonder, though when they do stories like this and there has been obviously a lot of news over the last handful of years of you know anti-asian discrimination and various other stories like that and i sometimes wonder if the reason they tell these stories and are very on the nose is because they want people to understand specifically what they are addressing and maybe there is a sense among the writers that like if we make this too sci-fi or obscure what we're trying to say too much people might miss the message yeah i and look I'll, I'll give them like the benefit of the doubt i, I recall season three discovery you know when they had to have that uh adira's they them conversation with i think stamets and yeah. like that was heavy-handed but i think it was one of those things that they they really just needed to address head-on because mm. and i think about you know the the 12 13 year old kid in some like small town maybe watching it with their parents and it's just you're, you're you're going to need to have kind of those conversations in a more straightforward way versus like picking up on all the nuances you know but on the other hand like i think it could have worked if everybody there was no comment on it just everybody talk like referred to adira as they them versus mm. that kind of that that pronoun chat that uh, adira and stamets had to have yeah that one was an interesting case where it's like obviously something that within our own timeline now there's been a lot of discussion about but this is also a show discovery set in like the 31st century or 32nd century which one is it uh doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter far off into the future (laughs) where you wouldn't think that that would be as much of a conversation point well in all fairness it's adira having a conversation which with someone they would have thought of as like a uh, simple folk from uh, a much earlier time in history. Very true. Um, speaking of discovery, though, while it wasn't really a courtroom episode, I did kept keep thinking about the episode Unification 3 when I was watching this one and going like, this just feels to me so much better assembled than an episode like that, where... When I got to that resolution and I had delved into actual character stuff with the Una figure, I just compare that to like Unification 3. And to me, that is like the lowest end of like the one hour characters just talking about a, you know, cause or argument Star Trek episodes. Yeah, I think you could make the argument that's kind of a a, a bit of a courtroom episode as well, because you had like advocates and counsels and different arguments on each side. And um, in this case, there wasn't nearly as many gongs that were ringing. <laughs> and um you know yeah. i i did love the uh the costuming in this one with both the oh. uh the admiral's uniforms as well as the dress uniforms that we got to see the characters wear i i mean 
I love the throwback look going back to kind of, kind of like trying to emulate but also iterate what they did back in the TOS era. Yeah, I love those original series dress uniforms you would see pop out on that show. I mean, obviously in the episode Court Martial, they were quite prominent and they really mirrored those uniforms while also updating them and I thought they did them in a really cool way with like the the really like silver or gold, I should say vibrant gold like shoulder bands on them. It just really popped on screen. Does it look kind of silly? Yes. But is it great? Yes. And also, speaking of Star Trek tropes that I love, and one that perhaps could be easily ridiculed when it comes to the original series, Tyler, this was the return of Star Trek characters watching television for an hour. <laughs> yes, that's I, I never even clued into that. Uh, very, And you know what? It makes sense. You know, the, Are you really going to have the entire crew? Hey, we all just happen to be here on Earth watching this go down. Yeah, like this felt like the way to pay tribute to that trope of the original series in a way that felt like real. Because you can believe there'd be, you know, virtual cameras in this courtroom that they could witness. It did not feel like the original series where they're watching like edited together footage of Kirk fighting <laughs> the Gorn or something with like camera cuts and whatever. Um, this felt like a natural way to do it. But I had a big smile on my face where there was all these scenes of just like the whole crew sitting there just watching that television. Uh, you could also see, uh, and I missed it if it was in previous episodes, but you could see uh, the Phoenix, Zephyr Cochran's ship in the background of the lounge scene as well as they're watching TV, which I thought that was kind of a cool little shout out. I would have loved to see the Annex 01 personally, but uh, I'll take the mm, Phoenix. Yeah. I so did not catch that. Whereabouts was it? Um, Just uh near kind of the door to get into the uh, observation like conference okay. center. Yeah, uh, and and it wasn't like like super hidden. It was if you just look past Pike, it was just behind him. Okay, I was actually surprised in this episode too that it was more of an ensemble episode than I expected. I mean, clearly it's very focused on Una and um, the Nira character, but the entire crew had moments throughout, which I really didn't expect given the premiere. I thought that was going to be kind of our ensemble characters episode, and this would very much be the Pike and Una story. Right. Speaking of Nira, okay, so and again, I'm going back to Una's plan. Was her plan to get Nira to take the case the entire time? Because, like, she said, oh, Nira, you figured it all out. Like, I was the one that did this, all in an effort to show diversity in Starfleet and prove some hypocrisy, but, like, Nira didn't want to take the case, and so did she figure out that Una was behind this uh, before she took the case, um, after she looked at the case files, after she had already gotten over to the Enterprise? Like, I was just a little confused on Una's plan uh, throughout this. I didn't get the sense Una was the one driving the plan in regards to the lawyer as much. I thought that was more of a Pike thing, because you had Pike in the previous episode talking about how he was going to track down this lawyer. Uh, which no, they showed in Una, the... Una had also reached out to Nira as well. Yeah. She reached out and then wouldn't didn't hear back. And then Pike reached out, didn't hear back. And so Pike decided to bring minimal oxygen with him to this planet. Right. 
so okay now i'm like trying to look at this from the point of view of like the una character what is her plan um (laughs) the classic soji question um she did not want to take the plea deal like in what she would have gotten the dishonorable discharge did she go into this wanting to make a case for herself and like the lawyer element was more of a uh, much needed um addition to what ultimately happened but wasn't necessarily in the plans to start with my takeaway is she wanted to go into this to redeem starfleet and show that yeah. starfleet can accept diversity within its ranks but like she had to, she had taken a real leap of faith like counting on what seemed to be kind of the worst lawyer ever who is um like that that guy that we saw at the very beginning who's like yeah yeah you should really <laughs> take this case you got no chance otherwise <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, and then, so that's no guarantee that she would get Nira. It took Pike almost dying by not yeah. bringing enough oxygen with him to then get a, a sit down with her. And then he gave her the case files. And so I'm guessing, so like, at what point did Nira figure out that, like, Una was behind it the whole time? I don't know that I have an answer to that question. And I don't know the writers do either. I think it was just something kind of said at the end. And also, I can't, like, Una's motivation was, I want to prove Starfleet really can accept diversity within its ranks. But yet, the she gets off on a technicality, and we have the uh, judge advocate general saying quite clearly, hey, we're just evaluating this on a case-by-case basis. It doesn't have any broader implications. And... Because otherwise, then you'd be looking at, like, why is Bashir's father going to jail in 120 years? Yeah, because you have that moment with Nira at the end saying, well, it's a start. And clearly, she's working more towards the Illyrian cause as opposed to the genetically modified cause as a you know bigger picture. But we don't really have a lot of evidence of what is to come. <laughs> like yeah. obviously Bashir's father got in a lot of trouble but it's it's not like we've seen kind of the uh presence of Illyrians in the future on Star Trek where it feels like the first step I, I am kind of hoping they revisit this material further down the road on this show like introduce maybe another Illyrian character or something so that while it may be contained within the world of Strange New Worlds, there's at least a sense of like an evolution as to what an Illyrian is in Star Trek. Because at this point, it's just Una, and I really only have, you know, a handful of episodes to go off of. So it's Una, and then those spirits that were haunting Pike and Spock yeah. in Ghosts of Illyria. And that's what happens to Illyrians when they try to deconstruct their genetic modifications. They They turn into spirits i that was an experiment that went awry i think wasn't it right well because they were trying to like deconstruct their own genetic genetic modifications right yes to me so far the the illyrian stuff has been like quite silly like whether it's like glowing light viruses uh throwing hammer (laughs) una throwing hammer over her shoulders like he's some sort of like scarecrow in terms of his weight uh i don't know this one's just this Illyra stuff is just has not quite been working for me you know you get a colony of Illyrians get provisional federation citizenship but 
The deal is they have to agree to stop doing any genetic modifications, yet some decide to keep doing genetic modifications. Why would the Federation, like, grant them citizenship in the first place if there was still so much conflict within that particular colony? That is an excellent question. Here's the here's maybe an, uh, instead of answering that, here's another question. Sure. Um, should they have done an episode early on that was specifically focused on Illyrians and their culture and society? The way that like when you look at TNG, you have the episode The Outcast, which uh, sorry, not The Outcast. Sorry, the um, what's the one where they introduce the trill? Oh, man, I'm pretty good at my episode titles. I forget. Yes, the one where Beverly falls in love with the uh, the Trill yeah, person. That one. Yeah, <laughs> that one. The classic one. Um, so that tells you kind of all you really need to know for a basis of how the Trills operate. So that when you jump over to DS9 and Jad Z is introduced and you get those stories, you are along for the ride. Or you can look at original series when they introduce Klingons or Vulcans. You have a very good core fundamental understanding as to how those species operate. And then you can kind of diversify your storytelling and really dive into elements of the culture. Should they have done that with the Illyrians? Because I do feel like that episode, Ghosts of Illyria, it doesn't really tell us that much other than just some very kind of like one-sentence bullet points about what an Illyrian is. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I double-checked that episode uh, from TNG. was called The Host. So there That's you go it. there. Yeah. yeah. I knew there was uh, a the. <laughs> So, Kim, like, it, it's a very valid question. I think something that would be totally doable back in the era of Star Trek, in which you've got 26 episodes a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what what episode are we giving up in season one for that 10-episode <laughs> run? I have an answer. <laughs> uh, okay, the Renfair one? Okay, yeah, okay, the Elysian enough. Kingdom, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we could have called it the Illyrian Kingdom instead. Oh, uh, sign me up! Yes, yeah, you know. So I agree with you. It just like like I I guess ultimately what, okay. So those questions I was asking just now, the questions I keep asking, I'm not asking because I think there's a legit answer. I'm just I, I'm posing these questions because I don't think the writers thought about it too deeply. And this is why I think this episode is a little thin. And I think they were trying. They had painted themselves into a bit of a corner, and they're like, okay, well, let's kind of get through this and go back to status quo. Strange new worlds going in for the remainder of the season, and, and like um, I don't know, like like there's gonna be fun ahead. Like I get it. Uh, you know, we got uh, Jim Kirk coming up soon at some point. Uh, obviously mm -hmm. some more Gorn material going on. Uh, at a certain point, I was like, are they gonna reveal that uh, Sam Kirk was the one that betrayed Una? Um, you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so um, it is interesting, kind of thinking about like how long all of these characters have been serving with each other like april obviously previously commanded the enterprise and did he say that that um una had served under him on the enterprise right like it wasn't just I, yes. he signed like wrote her the uh recommendation letter to academy but i believe she served on the enterprise with april right yes that's but correct. did not pike also serve on the enterprise with april at 1.2 i did he? I'm not exactly sure about that. Or did he serve on a different ship and then went over to the Enterprise as captain? I'm just, well, I guess what I'm getting at is like, also, Una first met. Okay, so April gives a recommendation 
to Una, and then Una first meets Pike while he's giving a speech, and she's in Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. And I think at one point, all three of them are serving together. Like, I get the sense between, like, uh, Pike and April is that those two men had served with each other before as well. Mm-hmm. So You definitely get that sense just from the relationship. I think, you know, of the pilot of this show where you had the two of them, you know, in the snow there talking about Pike going back and serving on the Enterprise. That didn't feel to me necessarily like um, Pike talking to a superior officer, <laughs> even one he's kind of friendly with. It felt like two people that actively knew each other. Yeah. So I'm not, have they ever underlined... Well, I guess what I'm Pike ultimately with him. Yeah. getting at is like, did, did is is the Enterprise Pike's first command? Hmm. That that's my sense. They definitely haven't like kind of built up the sort of legendary previous ship assignments with Pike the way they do with some other captains. So I think it makes sense that the Enterprise is his first one. Okay. So obviously Spock joined as an ensign. And managed to serve on the Enterprise um, throughout his entire <laughs> career. Uh-huh. Uhura, too. Yeah. Uhura as well. Uh, and La'an said... So has La'an only been in, like, Starfleet for, like, two years? Because she said that since she graduated, she gets promoted every single year? And she's a lieutenant now? I believe that's correct, yes. Okay, so wait. Year one, she's an ensign. Year two, she's a lieutenant junior grade. She's now chief of security... Uh, by the time we meet up with her in season one of Strange New World, so that'd be year three. She's now in her fourth year of being... She's served three full years in Starfleet and is now in her fourth year. And I guess she's going to be a lieutenant commander by the end of this season? Um, It's entirely possible, yes. It's kind of a little bit of the uh, rapid-fire J.J. Abrams Kelvinverse uh, promotion track. For sure. And we also did the math one of those uh, episodes on... Uh, Riker's ascent through the Starfleet ranks in which we realized that he would have gone from ensign to um, first officer of the flagship in a span of seven years, which seemed awfully quick yeah. as well. So, um, okay. Obviously you, you find me <laughs> digging into more of the minutia of this one rather than the bro- broader kind of philosophical stuff. Cause I think I kind of addressed that and like kind of my problems with this one. I just, you know, this one didn't quite work for me. I don't think it was a bad episode. It's not there with uh, uh, the Elysian, uh, Elysian Kingdom, which I thought was a bad episode last season. So, um, I don't know. I, I, look, I'm still looking forward to what the, the, the rest of the season has in store. I, look, the, the Jim Kirk stuff in the season one finale, a uh, bit of a black hole of charisma there with Paul Wesley. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that's what it's going to be moving forward. Although... The season two trailer did not really give me much hope. No, uh, no, that's very accurate. So, I mean, hopefully, again, my fingers are crossed that uh, <laughs> Kirk finally delivers uh, on Strange New Worlds. But yeah, I don't know. I, I do want to just say like this episode, what I appreciated was that last week I enjoyed that episode. It seemed like people were very mixed on last week's episode. Okay. And I did enjoy it overall but it had that moment that i think we both agreed was very lame which was the mabenga and chapel uh born <laughs> fight sequence which went on and on and on and i i did like that i think it was akiva goldsman 
this past week gave like a sound bite where he's like, don't worry. We're going to learn more about Mabenga's serum later in this season. Oh, I'm really? like, oh, thank God. The question that I had at the, you know, just forefront of my brain all week. I cannot wait. But like I watched that episode and an overall enjoyable episode for me. But like that moment where I'm just like, Ugh, that's not great. Yeah. This episode didn't have anything like that. I can say it's not probably when all is said and done going to be in my top five Strange New Worlds episodes. But it didn't have anything that like really dragged me out of the episode where I said, oh, that's really unfortunate. Look, all I've been asking for is give me episodes of Star Trek where people just talk for like an hour straight. This is what this episode did. I Like this episode's fine. It just did not. It just did not quite live up to the preceding courtroom sort of jewels that we've gotten from star trek and as i kind of did throughout our discussion i just when you scratch below the surface on a lot of these details here i'm just like "Uh, this just doesn't quite add up like i just don't think the writers put enough thought into this what do you think of nira in contrast to some of our previous uh star trek lawyers we've had for example cogley her her delivery seemed like it was from an entirely different tv show like Mm. I, I don't know. I, I was getting like selling sunset realtor vibes um, at times in just terms of like how like this is going to be the best house in the world. And this is why you need to buy it right now and I'll get my commission. And I just <laughs> that actually almost sounds like Shatner. But um, <laughs> I don't know. She just kind of felt plucked from like a different uh, acting universe than we're seeing from typical Star Trek and also from strange new worlds up until this point it felt like a little more of a contemporary performance like of a show you might see set in the modern day now what i did like was when i've seen you know for example cogley in um in um whatchamacallit the episode from the original series court martial thank you i'm really blanking on episode titles today i for i apologize people you need but, to lay um, off mabenga's yeah. super serum cam it's, it's <laughs> making you very distracted just been running laps in the backyard constantly all day long no um, in your tub <laughs> yeah in my tub <laughs> but like a lot of the time i find the person who's kind of the defense it gets a little too almost like starry-eyed, like the beauty of Star Trek, the wonder. And I kind of liked that this lawyer was a little bit of a shark. Like she was a tough lawyer who was quite aggressive, but ultimately had, you know, an argument that she was making that was very impassioned and important. And it didn't kind of fall back in sometimes that little bit of Star Trek goody-goodiness that uh, you often see with these representations. Yeah. All right, so look, uh, next week we'll be covering episode three, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which is a really long-winded way of saying three days from now. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, my, my guess, uh, some. Uh, well, actually, I was gonna say like, it may, maybe is this the lower decks crossover episode? If they're, but I think it's probably more like a time travel episode because remember we saw like Laon and Jim walking through like a Roots retail store in the trailer and he was having trouble yep. with the revolving door. So yep. I guess Jim is coming in a little earlier than I thought. I would have thought maybe he's coming in more around episode four or five rather than episode three. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is a time travel episode and you had the original series episode yesterday is tomorrow and I'm pretty sure this is kind of a nod to that. So I think we can expect maybe more of a hijinks laden episode next week which is nice i like that the show shifts up its energy every week so count me in for that uh tyler i don't know if you 
saw the news. I was just curious your thoughts on this. They've announced a new Star Trek board game, Star Trek Discovery Black Alert. Um, wasn't that announced like a year ago or something? Uh, it was the news was just posted two days ago on Trek Core. So okay. maybe they were announced they were developing something. But you and I have a history of playing Star Trek board games. Yeah, Black Alert, like uh, as a board game, it 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 sticks out in my brain as something that was maybe announced like a year ago or something. But um, okay. Now, um, is this going to be something we're going to roll the dice on, given our history of Star Trek strategy games? Uh, well, the la- last time we did uh, a Star Trek strategy game was in Vegas uh, this past August. And uh, I think you could tell I was not much uh, assistance in this esca- this escape room that we were in. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know, Cam. Uh, I'll leave it to you to do the review. Okay. Yeah, it's a card-based game where you can play members of Discovery or the Charon. So, it's got that going for it. <laughs> you can tell how excited I am already. I can, indeed. Okay. Uh, so, Cam. <laughs> yeah. While you're watching, uh, while you're anticipating the Star Trek board games, uh, you, you, you've endeavored to watch Secret Invasion from Marvel? I Oh, thank you. Yes, that was a point I was going to bring up, which is that yeah. like, we watched an episode of Star Trek this week where the characters primarily sat in a courtroom and talked for an hour. And I did have to admire at a certain point, boy, this show looks beautiful. Like the colors pop. You mentioned earlier those uniforms, just the attention to detail. What a beautiful looking show, whether it is a strong episode or not. This show every week delivers in that regard. I sat down and watched Secret Invasion, the premiere the other night. What a flat looking smear of an hour of television. <laughs> like, Did it drag? Like I, I, I saw the trailer. It had no interest to me. I'm, I'm kind of done with the... Uh... Like, I'll watch Loki Season 2, I think, but I'm otherwise kind of done with the Marvel stuff. What, what, did this one drag? Yes. Yes, it eh, did indeed. I'm shocked and to hear that. It's trying to do a little bit of, like, Le Carre or Robert Ludlum, where it's more of a stripped-down, down-and-dirty espionage story that kind of showcases the human cost of espionage in the spy world. And that's an interesting topic. In fact, Tyler... We covered such a show fairly recently set in a very prominent universe, and that is Andor on Star Wars. <laughs> right. And that show did that with an absolute home run, visually looked incredible, world-building astonishing. And the fact that Secret Invasion comes out, you know, not too long after Andor Season 1 and looks like it was, like, shot on a VHS tape, and has action yeah. scenes that look like they're from like the action pack back in the day on uh, one of those like um, streaming syndicate or not streaming but syndicated action shows. I was like, this is unbelievable. Like that Marvel should be embarrassed to put shows out like this at this point. And so, listeners, if you guys want more thoughts on Cam uh, sharing uh, uh, Secret Invasion as the episodes roll in week to week, you'll be covering this on Spy Hard's podcast, correct? Uh, on the Patreon, yes. Patreon. <laughs> They're getting their money's worth. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do the entire season. Um, but what... Uh, I, I just don't know what Marvel's doing. And, you know, you and I have talked about some of their shows on this podcast before. I'm at a point where I just don't literally understand what they're even doing. Like, just stop. 
the one of the promises was that when they announced these shows, they were like, we're going to bring the production values of our films to our TV shows. And I guess to a certain degree, that's true, given their kind of flat (laughs) visual template in the movies. But nonetheless... Yeah, they didn't tell you it was going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania uh, visuals that uh, they're going to be delivering. There's scenes in like the classic hallways and office buildings where I'm just like, what what are you doing? (laughs) Like, you don't need to do this. And the fact is, I guarantee that Secret Invasion cost a pretty penny as well. Yeah. Um, so, Cam, uh, I, I do want to go backwards a little bit. I can confirm that I was wrong. Star Trek Discovery Black Alert was not announced last year. It was announced two months ago. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there well, you maybe go. Maybe they set a release date. Yeah. Uh, No, the, the release date was set uh, two months ago. Okay. Well, fair enough. There you go. <laughs> You're just reading old news. Trek Core was uh, late to the party on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, slow news day. They got to fill it with something. Exactly. Okay. So if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. And as Tyler said, next week we'll be back with the latest episode of Strange New Worlds. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in violation of Starfleet Law Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P. P is in Prime Directive is what General Order 1 is now being called. O-R-T-O-N. <laughs> Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Okay, yeah, okay, the Elysian enough. Kingdom, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we could have called it the Illyrian Kingdom instead. <laughs>